Crossroads. I'm Lisa, the Global Outreach Director. I'm here in Kenya with the Kenya team, and uh, one of the themes that we've noticed that's been going on throughout our trip so far is hope. And through your generosity and your tithe, that has made hope possible for these kids. So we just thank you and want you to see what we've been doing. I have plans for you, declares the Lord. Plans of good and not evil to give you a future and hope. I like to be a doctor. I like to be a doctor. I want to be a pilot. I want to be a policeman. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher. God. Three or four years ago, if those children had been asked that question, what do you want to be when you grow up, they wouldn't have had an answer. They really wouldn't. By the way, I don't want to just undersell that. I've got to tell you, they literally wanted to just survive. Uh, But because of the ministry that's happening, those children now have a future and now have a hope. They have places they can sleep that at least somewhat uh, it provides comfort. Uh, they're being rescued from extreme poverty. They're, they're being put in an educational system that's causing them to dream and hope and pray and, and, and have great desire. And we're watching that happen. And, and we get to be a part of that. 42 of our people are right now over there ministry and caring for children. And uh, what we're seeing happen is pretty awesome. Over 200 children have been rescued from extreme poverty because of this church family. And, um, and that is so exciting. Now, we're in partnership with Eastside Christian Church in Fullerton. Last year at this time, Eastside had rescued 178 children. But because they got intentional about it, they took that 178 number to over 1,700 children being reached. Now, here's what you need to know. They have challenged us. They said if they can do it 10 times, we can do it 10 times. We're going to be talking to you more about it. We want to, in the next few months, reach out to over 2,000 children. We think we can do it in an incredible way. And uh, we want to be a part of that. The team we have there right now is laying the foundation for that to happen. And I want to tell you, it's incredible. And it's not just about the poverty. Are you ready for this? Uh, Just last week, Charlotte, Lisa, who you saw up there, and Ronnie Roa were sitting in a hut and led a woman who was Islamic to faith in Jesus Christ. She's now a Christian. So it just gets better and better and better. I want you to be praying for that. Amazing things are happening. Uh, I want us to pray together as we get ready for today. So right now, would you grab your Bible or your Blackberry or your iPhone or your iPad and open up to Matthew chapter seven and let's pray. Father, I just am so excited about you, the way you love and care for us and the opportunities we have 
to go and make a difference in very real ways in the lives of people. And God, I know that it's not just in Nairobi. It's also in India. It's also in Peru. It's in China. God, you're opening opportunities for us to literally see people reach for you, to see people uh, get food, get clothing, get hope, get care. And it's not just across the seas, Lord. It's happening in the Corona Norco area uh, through our food pantry, through the Corona Norco Rescue Mission, through hope. And God, we want to be a part of that. So may we be faithful. We may we be true to your calling in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20 is where we'll be. Uh, I shared with you last week that I was standing in front of Chick-fil-A, and a voice called out to me, and I turned around, and it was Jesus. Uh, And Jesus offered me a discount at Zendejas Restaurant. Uh, It really is true. Matter of fact, you'll see it behind you. Uh, The new manager of uh, Zendejas is named Jesus Estrada. And uh, and so he, he, by the way, he heard me talking about it and he upped it. Now, not only do I get a discount, I get free food in Zendejas. So, uh, hey, so when you go to Jesus, you get good things. But, But here's the point. I believe in Jesus Estrada. I believe he's real. I believe I'll get my free meal, but he cannot give me eternal life. He cannot give me forgiveness of sins. He can't transform my marriage. He can transform my gut, but not my marriage. And, and here's the thing. Are we going to cling to the real Jesus? Are we going to be able to be in a relationship with him where we really, really know him? Or, or is it possible we would be off just enough that we would miss out? Now, by the way, that's what I want you to think about today. I don't know if you heard about the two brothers that were literally in an extreme situation. The economy was destroying them. They weren't sure they could make it. And uh, here they were in the corona area just struggling. And they thought, okay, we, we hate to do it. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to start counterfeiting bills. I mean, we've got to have a way to get food. We got have, And they decided to do that. Now, I don't know if you've had that happen. Just the other night, Pam and I went to get yogurt. And I handed a $20 bill to the girl. She marked it with a pen, held it up to the light, and put it on a machine just for yogurt. I mean, because counterfeiting is such a big problem. Well, these guys decided to do it. And so the one brother's working away on it. The other brother comes walking in the house to see his progress. And he goes, look at this. These are incredible. You're not going to believe it. And he held up three counterfeit bills. And the other brother looked at him and his face dropped. He said, what are you doing? These are $8 bills. There's no such thing as an eight. He goes, but they look so good. He goes, you wasted paper. You wasted ink. What are we going to do with three $8 bills? He said, I know. Let's take them to Arizona. The people in Arizona will never realize that they're fake. And so they drove all the way to Phoenix and ran into a convenience store. And the one brother comes running out. And he's cheering. He goes, it's incredible. Look at, I got a straight trade for three eights. I got four sixes, you know. The last service thought that was funny. <laughs> but uh, are we clinging to what's true? Jesus is calling us to a very real experience with him. Now, I don't want you to miss that. When we talk about being a Christian, one who belongs to Christ, one who's in a relationship with God the Father is our Abba Father, our Daddy. It's to be very, very real. And the whole idea of the Sermon on the Mount is to enter into that relationship that's real, that's vibrant, that's dynamic, that's alive. So Jesus starts out with what we call the eight Beatitudes. And and what he's saying is there's eight attitudes you need to have in your life that cause your life to be supremely blessed. The word blessed actually is the word to be supremely happy. And God loves you and cares about you so much. He's calling you into this lifestyle that's happy and exciting and energizing 
one that you were always meant to live. And it begins with the right attitudes. Then it goes to, you ready for this? It goes to clinging to God's word. Jesus said, I want you to know that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word is not going to pass away. And I didn't come to void God's word. I came to call you to follow it, even to the smallest jot and tittle, to the smallest breathing mark and letter. You live your life according to God's word. Now, we need to lock that in our minds. Because what we're about to look at today shows why it's so important for us to hold God's word and know it and live it and follow it completely. So anyway, after he calls us to do that, he says, now you need to enter into purity and live a pure relationship because in that you'll find freedom and you'll find life to the fullest. Then he says, I want to transform your personal relationships. And when you have your life according to God's word with the right attitudes and you have the right relationships, then you're ready now more than ever to have God move in your life. And what do we need to do? We need to know God is our father. We need to be more interested in his will than ours. We need to say, God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, if that's the attitude you have, where you are more interested in God's will than your own and God's ways than your own, then get ready for this. God's going to start answering your prayer and you're going to start being a creative force for good in this world in a way you can't imagine. And then he begins to call us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount to this, make the right choice. Last week, he said, if we watch together, he said, I want you to know, enter by the narrow gate. Because very few people will do that. Because narrow is the gate and and, and narrow is the way that leads to life. And I want you to know that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who find it. And he says, I want you to know there's a narrow gate and a wide gate. There's few who find life and many who find destruction. Make the right choice, he says. Make the right choice. And now he's calling for us to not be deceived. You see, that's the danger of all this is that the Lord is warning you. He's warning me. He says, don't you realize there are people who will want to trick you, to deceive you, to rip you off? And they may not even know that they're doing it because they could be deceived too. And so what does he say here? Chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So... Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. He says, I want you to beware. I want you to be aware. Now, why is that? It's because he loves you. He loves you with everything he has. So he's throwing out a warning as a loving, loving, loving father who's saying, don't get caught up in that. Uh, the other day I was watching Liam, our, my grandson, he's 15 months old. And, and he, I, I don't know why, Liam thinks it's the greatest thing ever to walk over to walls and pound on them like this. And he walked over to a wall and he's pounding on it and laughing. And I looked down and I saw the electrical uh, outlet. It wasn't covered. And I'm like, oh, how did that happen? And I'm looking at it. And then all of a sudden Liam sees it. And he gets down eye level and he looks at it. And I thought he's going to try to kiss the outlet. Now, now, what do you think I did? I didn't just sit back and say, well, if that's what he wants to do, you know, it's on him. Hey, Liam, more power to you. You know, I didn't do that. It's bad jokes all day today. But, uh, but are you ready for this? I called out, no, not because I wanted to scare him, but because I love him and I don't want him to get hurt. Jesus is calling for you and I to avoid the ultimate of destruction. 
the broad way, the wide way that wrecks lives and destructive in lives. And by those who lead people down the worst path imaginable, even though they're deceiving them into it. And you need to grab the fact that Jesus is saying many, many, many people will be deceived. He starts out in verse 15 by saying, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Now, don't miss that. In sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Now, what is he getting at? They're going to look like they're Christians. Now, I want to say that again. Not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. And they're going to say, oh, but we're Christians too. We're part of the sheep. Come be with us. And inwardly they're destroying people's lives. Now, grab this. Today, while we're here in the United States alone, 8 million people are attending two cultic groups that call themselves Christian. 8 million people. Uh, One is uh, attending a group that actually says that Jesus is not the unique son of God. He's nothing more than the archangel Michael, but they call themselves Christians. Another group is, uh, believes that Jesus is one of billions of gods and is actually a polygamist and married many women. Now, both of those are not the right Jesus. You might as well follow Jesus Estrada to Zendejas. And uh, uh, they're not the right Jesus. It doesn't matter that they call themselves Jesus or they say they're Christians. They're sincerely wrong. They might be sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. And you know what? They may even be deceived into thinking they're right. And I'll tell you this. They bring a deception trying to reach out to you with that. But they're not right. Another two to four million are in places that call themselves Christians, but they so disavowed the Bible, they don't follow it any longer. What are some of the things they don't follow? Well, one of the ideas is that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life, and no one could come to the Father but through him. This other two to four million people say, well, yeah, but I know that's true for us, but lots of people have lots of beliefs, and you know, everybody's a child of God, and so that's not what the Bible teaches. That's the false prophet. That's the wrong system. And we need to know that. And and the reality is this, as people are following this, they may have good intentions, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who look like they're Christians outwardly, but they're ravenous wolves. They'll destroy your life. You know what we need to understand is that Satan, the devil masquerades himself as an angel of light, and those who follow him pretend to be angels of light too. That's what Paul warns about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 13 to 15. He says, for such men, the false prophets you should be aware of, for such men are false prophets, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Verse 14, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Now, I know there's some of you who are really tempted to come up to me afterwards and go, Chuck, look, I know we got a hold to our beliefs, but come on. I have some friends who are in those groups and Chuck, they're nice people. See, but that's not the point. Nice people isn't the point. They may look good on the outside, but that isn't the point of what's going on here. We need to understand that. Nobody goes to heaven because they're good. As a matter of fact, you might sit here and disagree with me and say, no, that's not true. And I know most of the Crossroads family knows this, but I just need to share this with you. Nobody is truly good. And the only reason you might appear to be good is because God allows you to keep your thoughts private. If all of your thoughts were public, nobody would think you're good. Husbands, how many of you husbands would your wife think you're a good husband if she knew everything you thought? 
Kids, how many of you would be alive today if your parents knew all your thoughts? (laughs) How many of you would have a job if your boss knew everything you thought? See, the truth of the matter is you might say, well, overall, I'm a good... No, no, no. How bad do you got to be to be bad? And, and here's the point we need to understand is that Jesus came and died on the cross because we did sin, because we have sin, because we need a savior. And we act like that that doesn't matter. Oh, okay, we'll believe in that, but you can believe in something else. Well, we've missed the point. And that's the work of the false prophet. By the way, you're going to see in a minute, it's the spirit of the Antichrist moving in the world in a greater and greater way. See, Satan is real. Satan is alive and well, and his ministers are alive and well. I don't know if you heard about the, the, the girl who walked in the house devastated. She was just beside herself. She sat down at the kitchen counter. She started to cry. Her mom walked in and looked at her and said, honey, what's wrong? And she looked up and said, mom, I think I'm going to have to call off the wedding. And she said, why? She said, well, I thought he was a Christian, but I found out today that he doesn't believe there's a devil. The mom looked at her and said, oh, honey, don't worry about that. Have him spend a week with us and he'll know there's a devil. <laughs> There is a devil, and, and he is fooling people today. How did, how did Satan do it? Did Satan appear to Eve and say, hi, I'm the devil. Do you want to get cast out of the Garden of Eden, have a life of painful horror, and have pain in childbirth? No, he's, he actually tricked her. He deceived her. And what we need to know is the spirit of deception is moving. Now, here's what else you need to know. God's word is true. And if you study God's word and cling to God, where you will not be deceived. That's why Jesus said, beware of false prophets. Don't head the wrong direction. Now, what Jesus was saying that back then, you need to know that today we need to hear this more than ever. While there's always been deception, now that we're in the last days, their deception is growing and is greater. Now, if you're not aware of this, we are in the countdown. We're in a countdown to the Lord's coming. We're in what we call the last days. The second coming of Christ is impending. And and we know that that actually is true. And we know also that, that there are certain things that made it very apparent to us. You might say, well, wait a minute. I, I, I mean, they've been saying that forever, but the Bible's clear. One of the signs of the second coming is this, is that when Israel becomes a nation again, we know we're close to the coming. And that happened in 1948. Then when Jerusalem is put back in the hands of the Jewish people is one of the great signs of the second coming. That didn't happen until 1967. Another sign of the coming of the Lord is an, a nation or nations need to be able to mount an army of 200 million people. At the time that was written in the book of Revelation, there were not 200 million people on the whole earth. Today, there are two nations all by themselves, China and India, that could put together an army of 200 million people, both of whom are in the right geographical area that is described in Scripture. We're nowhere in the last days when a worldwide event that happens in one place in the world could be seen live all around the world. That just now has happened. We have to be in a time where technology exists so that people cannot buy or sell without a mark on your right hand or your forehead. And the word forehead, interestingly, is a Greek word, meta-opon. Meta means in the midst of, opon means in the eye. Isn't it interesting? We live in a time where in the midst of your eye, you can access your financial accounts. All we're waiting is for the technology to be enacted. It exists today. And we've never lived in a time like this before. But for all those signs of the second coming, you're ready for this? The greatest sign of all is the spirit of deception. The greatest sign of all is that one day a worldwide leader will rise up who will be a political leader leader we call the Antichrist and he'll come with the spirit of deception. Listen to how the idea of this feeds in. 
First Timothy 4.1 says this, but the spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrine of demons. The spirit isn't just hinting. The Holy Spirit expressly says that in the last days, some will fall away from the faith. There'll be an apostasy. Whole churches will walk away from who Jesus is, what we've been describing to you. False prophets will rise up and deceive many. It's literally the doctrine of demons, the spirit of the devil moving, the spirit of the Antichrist enacting. And we're seeing this happen in our day. Jesus in Matthew 24 actually lists out the signs of his coming. You want to have a great personal study? Go to Matthew 24 and write in order the signs of his coming and start checking them off. But but listen to what it says in chapter 24, verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said to him, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Now he says, I don't want you to be misled, but I'm telling you many, many, many people will be misled by false Christ. Look down at verse 11. For many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Now, just like many, the many will be on the road to destruction. Many, many, many will be misled. Why? Because they don't cling to God's word. They don't cling to his truth. They don't hold to who Jesus is and what he says. And they veer off course. Matthew 24, 24 and 25 says this. It says, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and they will show great signs and wonders. So as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. So as to mislead, if possible, even the elect, even those who say they're Christians, the goal is to mislead them and pull them away from the truth of Christ. And then look what verse 25 says. Behold, I have told you this in advance. Jesus is giving a warning here. Don't be misled. He says it in the Sermon on the Mount. Beware, don't be misled by those who look like they're Christians and look like they're followers of God, but they're ravenous wolves. Don't be misled. Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. Don't be misled. People pretend to be ministers of Christ and they're not. How do you know it? How do you know? You know it from their fruit. You know it from the fruit, the fruit of their lips, the fruit of their lives, the fruit of the calling they have. You can see it if you hold it next to God's word. That's the great desire of God. The number one sign of the Antichrist is deception. People will be deceived. Look what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 to 12. It says this. Then the lawless one, which is the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. So that is the one who is coming in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. Verse 10, with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive a love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. The greatest wickedness of all is to say that the death of Jesus is not the only way for our to come to salvation. Through his blood are we saved and there is no other way. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The greatest deception of all is somebody saying there's some other way or we can work our way in or all roads lead there. That's the wickedest thing imaginable to God. And we need to understand the spirit of the Antichrist is on the move and he's going to deceive people. Haven't you caught how ready the world is for it? He's going to come and say things like, don't you understand that God is a God of love? 
And he loves everybody. And we're all his children. And maybe you Christians follow the way of Jesus and Hindus follow the way, you know, uh, of the Hindu teachings and Islam follows the way of Muhammad. But in the end, we're all seeking the way of God. And it doesn't matter which road you take. Every road will get you there. And if you listen to the voice of Jesus, he says, broad is the way and wide is the road that leads to destruction. And the many are on it and they're not listening to the truth. And you know what? Your friends and my friends and family members are being deceived. And we need to understand the truth of what Jesus is saying and calling us to. And the spirit of the Antichrist is moving. And it will take on a whole new realm when he's finally revealed. And we're watching for the day of his revealing. Now, the Antichrist is going to be a political leader. He will rise up. The world will marvel at him. He'll unite the world. And he'll create a, a, a basically a one-world government. And then he'll also uh, begin to enact a one-world economy. He is going to be backed by a world religious leader who will begin to tell everybody to do what he says and listen what he says. Now, who is this leader? Look what it says in Revelation 13, 11 through 14. Chapter 13, 11 to 14. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. Now, the horns mean power. So he's a man of power. He's going to have horns like a lamb, though, which means he's going to look like a Christian. He's going to say he's a Christian, but he's going to speak the speech of the devil. Only those who know God's word are going to spot it. Everybody else is going to be caught up in it. So we're looking for a worldwide political leader to arise. We're looking for a worldwide religious leader who claims to be a Christian to arise. And they're going to team up to call the world to follow ways that God would not want us to do. Now, listen to what it goes on to say about him in verse 12. That, and the false prophet, he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in, the, in it worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs, so as even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And, now verse 14, he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given him to perform. Notice again, he deceives people. And by the way, by doing even signs, by, by beginning to enact things, the deception that's going on now will go to a whole new level at this period of time. It says he performs them in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who has the wound of the sword and has come to life. Now, by the way, think about this. A worldwide religious leader that says, I want you to make a statue and an image and use that as your focal point of worship. Would people be deceived into that when even in the Ten Commandments, God says, I don't want you to make graven images. I don't want you to be sucked into it. Are there people today who actually would say, oh, I know the Bible says that. And yet they would still do it. This guy's going to get them to do it. And by the way, I 